Well, good morning, everyone. Roger is my name. I'm one of the staff team here. You might be interested to know that uh, Zechariah is one of the 12 minor prophets, they're called. Uh, not that they're unimportant in that sense. They're just the smaller books of the Old Testament. In fact, Zechariah is the biggest of the smallest, so that makes him the major of the minor, I think. Well, do have Zechariah uh, open in front of you. But as we come to it, I was thinking how I find it difficult to stand out in the crowd, more difficult to stand out than to blend in. And I wonder if that's your experience too. Uh, when the group you're a part of is talking about the same good idea, or at least they think it is, you think it's a bad idea, uh, we all know you can spare yourself uh, a truckload of pain by keeping your mouth closed. Uh, the same is true with convictions, isn't it? Uh, when the group you're a part of is making a decision based on values and you have different values, even perhaps conflicting values, we all know you can spare yourself the pain there by keeping your mouth closed. But sometimes, well, sometimes convictions do need to be declared. Standing out... Well, the same is true of being a follower of Jesus. When the group you're a part of doesn't follow him, and you do, and that brings the you and them into conflict, we all know it's going to be easier to go with the flow and just be normal than it is to stand out. And what's more, uh, we know it's not just people around us that would have us go that way. We know it's sin within us. Even now, as we follow Jesus, that given the chance, would choose the path of least resistance. So how do we do life now and honour him? How do we do life now as we look forward to him returning? It's true to say we live in what can feel like a weird place in time. Uh, we know the Lord Jesus has come as God's great king. He's died and risen again as promised. The good news about him is now being announced far and wide. But even still, you know, this is the message of God, from God, but not everyone trusts him. Uh, plenty are hostile to him and feel the same way to those who trust him. And hardship and suffering... It hasn't been taken away. And we still sin, even when we have received the forgiveness that Jesus brings. How does it all hold together? Well, it's, it's the fact that we live in the age of the now but not yet. Uh, the overlap of the ages where so many of God's promises have been fulfilled in Jesus now and yet we're still asked to live in obedience and hope, to look for what's promised not yet arrived. How do we do that? How do we stick at it? What is our motive? What will see us through to that future? Well, you might be surprised to hear that a book written two and a half thousand years ago of 14 chapters has has been given to us by God uh, so we can know just that. 
The book of Zechariah, named after the messenger from God, uh, the prophet of God who spoke it, it remains God's word to us. Even when so much has changed between them then and us now, Jesus has changed so much uh, through his life and death and resurrection. And clearly Jesus saw himself fulfilling the promises of Zechariah uh, and the New Testament writers, they keep returning to Zechariah, they allude to it, they quote it, so we can more deeply appreciate Jesus, all that he was and all that he's done. Probably the most well-known of all Zechariah quotes in the New Testament is Zechariah 9 verse 9, reported by the Gospel writers on what has become for us Palm Sunday. As Jesus rode into Jerusalem the week before he died on a donkey. Let me read it to you. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Has anyone heard those words before? Yeah? Oh, that's great. It's great when people can answer my questions. This is good. I dosed you all up on question and answer time last. That's the last one today. Uh, The words of Zechariah here point us to Jesus, but their value doesn't come to an end when he comes. If you want to understand God better, if you want to know Jesus better, if you want to understand yourself and live as disciples of Jesus as we live in this time of the now but not yet, uh, God's word here in Zechariah will more than repay the time we give it. To understand what God is saying to us, uh, we need first to understand what he was saying to the people, his people then, and we can't do that unless we have a handle on when in God's good plans this took place. The other thing that we're going to do today, because this is sort of the first week, is we're going to have a look at how the different parts of the book fit together so that with both of those under our belt, as we're reading today and when you're reading ahead, and I hope you will read ahead, Uh, You can keep one eye on the big picture as we also look at the details. Maybe think of today as an orientation. You ever had one of those when you've joined a new group of people or organisation and someone, you know, here's so-and-so, here's the stationery cupboard. Do they still have stationery cupboards? Uh, You know, here's the different things you need to see before you jump in. So to begin our orientation... Uh, Let me read chapter 1 from 1 to 6 again. And as I do this, ask yourself, what do these words tell us about where things are up to in God's great plan to save people, in his great plan to save sinners? And ask yourself as well, what does this say about the key players in it, about the individual characters or those they represent? Chapter 1 from verse 1, in the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, the son of Edu. The Lord was very angry with your ancestors. Therefore tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. 
Do not be like your ancestors to whom the earlier prophets proclaim, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Turn from your evil ways and your evil practices. But they would not listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Where are your ancestors now and the prophets? Do they live forever? But did not my words and my decrees, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your ancestors? Then they repented and said, The Lord Almighty has done to us what our ways and practices deserve, just as he determined to do. So how did you go with the where are things up to question? Verse 1, it's a bit of a gimme, isn't it? Uh, plenty of history has been written this way where the time, uh, time is measured according to the great ruler of the day and so we're given a very precise time for when the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah uh, in the eighth month of the second year of Darius, what we know today as 520 BC. When I was a kid I was always wondering, it's like, how did they know what year it was BC when they didn't know when Jesus was coming? I'll leave that one with you. Uh, we'll come back to Darius in a moment. The other great clue is the tale of the ancestors of these people in verse 2 and from verse 4. Those, those that Zechariah is speaking to, the Lord is speaking to, must not be like their ancestors. Verse 2, the Lord was very angry with your ancestors. Why? And we read it from verse 4, the prophets of God had spoke to them. He'd called them to turn from their evil ways but they didn't listen and what happened to them i find verses five and six chilling to read just the way they convey so much with so few words where are your ancestors now and the prophets do they live forever but did not my words and my decrees which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your ancestors. These days, the days of the Old Testament, the days we still live in today, these are days of mercy and judgment. As we look at this period of time, mercy for the Lord warned his people. He'd made them his people. Uh, uh, and yet judgment because they did not listen. The ancestors were no longer around because they disobeyed God and fell under the terrible judgment of God. Uh, they were invaded by the nations from around them. That a remnant was taken off into exile in Babylon. They'd been warned of this judgment in the same breath as the Lord had called them to turn back to him. And now they are no more. For the Lord and his word overtook their ancestors. The details of what they did or didn't do, well, we heard some of that fleshed out in our reading from chapter 7, didn't we? But at its heart, their actions revealed their attitude to God. Now, put Darius and these events together, and we can understand where we are in God's great plan of salvation history. And what I want to do is show you a picture, uh, picture up there. Now, I know you can't read that, 
that's okay. And uh, you can see that picture in the front of the growth group uh, booklets that are out there. Whether you're in a growth group or you're not in a growth group, you're welcome to take one. Uh, but I wanted to show you this picture uh, and we're just going to use it as a guide. Like I said, I'd be a monster if I was asking you to read that text at that distance. Uh, if you wanted to summarise the whole story of God's salvation history, you could do it this way uh, and speak of it in terms of the kingdom of God. The whole Bible is the unfolding story of the kingdom of God. Uh, a couple of people sort of got us to this place. I didn't create this. Uh, uh, but Zechariah falls here in this era that I'm going to highlight. That's power, isn't it? Uh, in the time of the prophesied kingdom. Now, what came before, how we got to here, because, of course, you can see that cross, and after that cross, we're in the orange section. Uh, what came before, starting from the beginning, we see the pattern of creation established by God in his creation. Then the next big era was the perished kingdom where humans uh, abandoned God in sin. Next the promised kingdom where God made promises to Abraham and one nation. Next, the partial kingdom with the nation Israel freed through the exodus and taken to the promised land, which leads, led on to the height of the partial kingdom in the heady days of King David and Solomon and the building of the temple. After that, though, well, Israel had never been without sin and they had experienced God's judgment before, but after the time of these great kings, in fact, its origins can be found among them, everything spiralled downhill from there. And so God judged them by splitting 12 tribes into Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And even with that taking place, they still would not turn back to God. He sent his prophets to call them to return, but they still would not repent. And so his mighty hand of judgment fell. And in the north, Israel was destroyed by the kingdom of Assyria. And eventually the south too went a similar way, this time at the hands of Babylon, in 586 BC, the, the land was left a war zone. Many of the people were killed. A remnant was carted off in exile to Babylon where God promised they would remain 70 years in whole. Now, the thing about this part of the world... Assyria had been overcome by the later empire of Babylon and so too Babylon was overcome by the new empire of Persia. Uh, there's always a bigger fish, someone once said in a movie somewhere. And Cyrus, the great ruler of Persia, was another instrument in God's hands and he was the one, when he came into power, he said, you can go home. Uh, I say Jews because they're called Jews now because they're from the tribe of Judah. Uh, all that remained of the 12 tribes. Not so long after, it was Darius who was in charge of Persia and we can pin this date from verse 1 to 520 BC. Have a look at this next picture. 
Again, not asking you to read it. It is in the front of your growth group books. But what I love about this picture is uh, uh, the way in which it's, someone has gone to the trouble of showing us the history of the Old Testament and the major milestones have been put in like stations uh, if you were reading the, what do you call it, the timetable, the map, the Sydney metro, you know, the Sydney trains, that's it. And the part we are looking at uh, is down there, it's the very last section uh, of the key events of the Old Testament. And here at the time of the return to Jerusalem uh, is Zechariah we're reading, uh, but you can find at the same time in the book of the prophet Haggai and the book of Ezra as well, and they're really worth uh, reading together with this one. But at this point in time, right at the bottom of that timeline and with everything that's gone before, if you think of each of these uh, eras as a chapter in God's unfolding plan, where we arrive at in Zechariah is the chapter, one chapter before Jesus. And so this is a monumental time in their history. They were nearly wiped out in judgment, but were promised a remnant would return. Now the Lord would achieve his promises in all their now nearly unimaginable greatness and restore his people to the glory the prophets had promised. And yet, and yet they were days of having received some promises now and others not yet. Things didn't look as they had expected they should be at this point. Their experience seemed to, seemed to line up with their promises. So what should they think about the Lord, about themselves and his plans for them both? And as we think about them, I want, I want to ask you to ask yourself, how is this similar to our experience with God? As we've seen God's... Uh, promises in Jesus fulfilled and yet we still wait on promises to come yet. The Lord had promised them a great nation, a time of permanent peace when other nations would serve them, when God's king would rule over the nations and all would be blessed and yet here were the Jews back in their land, only back in a tiny patch of what the 12 tribes had inhabited. They were small in number. The neighbouring nations hated them and didn't want to see them return. And as we read in Ezra chapter 4, those nations did everything in their power to pre prevent them uh, from rebuilding and rebuilding the temple of the Lord. And so Judah was under pressure. And as we read in Haggai chapter 1, they actually downed tools on building the temple, the temple the Lord had commanded them to build. And so do you see the similarities between their experience then and ours today? The parallels of our time of living in the now but not yet and the challenge of experience not lining up with expectations. It's at this time in their history, that the Lord spoke these words through Zechariah. 
words to warn and strengthen them, to encourage them and give them confidence. For even though their ancestors had been God's people, the holy people of the holy God, when, when their circumstances pushed against them, urged them not to go against the tide or, or, or suggested the Lord didn't know what he was doing or he was not doing what they wanted, they turned in their sin to evil ways and evil practices. They refused to listen to the Lord. But what did God say to those who had come after them? To those who were here? What did he command those in the time of Zechariah? What did he promise them? Verse 3. Therefore tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Return to me, and I will return to you. Even as God warns of his judgment, he does so to drive us into the arms of his mercy. To have him live with us, and we with him, to have a relationship with him. And this is the message we have from God today. Is it essentially any different? His message to us who trust in Jesus, his message to the nations who don't yet. When Jesus came, what did Jesus call on people to do when he came? And what did he tell his disciples to proclaim? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's in Mark 1, verse 15. The kingdom was at hand because the king himself had come. God has dwelt among us. And now we live in the days of the kingdom proclaimed. Days like Zechariah's day looked forward to being fulfilled. And yet, we haven't seen all the promises Fulfilled yet. As we'll read another day in Zechariah, we as disciples, we are prisoners, prisoners in a good way, I might add. We are prisoners of hope. Uh, during the week, some of us were talking about hope uh, about a week ago, and one of the people there was looking forward to uh, a family wedding. Uh, and we talked about how the bride and the groom, because the wedding was yesterday, we talked about how the bride and the groom had promised to marry each other, but of course, back then, still nearly a week ago, they were still looking forward to yesterday uh, when they would be married. And what was promised would be received. Uh, today, they hope no more. I haven't checked it went ahead, but I'm, you know, pretty confident. On Friday, they had hope of their marriage to come. Now they'd receive what they've promised. They no longer need to live in hope. Well, we have the privilege to see and know so much more of God's kingdom plans than the Jews of Zechariah's day because we see Jesus. We see Jesus who was faithful in the circumstances he experienced. 
We see Jesus, who didn't chart his own course, but was wholly obedient to God his Father. We see Jesus, who not only died, but rose again, so that we who trust him would die to death and live eternally with him. And so when we began to trust and follow Jesus, it was because he brought repentance in us. A turnaround, uh, not just a sorrow about our sin, about the times we've turned our backs on him, about the shame and guilt we carry without him. He's actually, he's actually brought about a complete change in direction in our lives and in our attitude to him. And he continues to call on every person alive today to turn back to himself and depend on the Lord Jesus with us. We live in the days, in the days of God's patience, warned of his judgment, draped in his mercy. And in the same way we start this new life, so we continue in this life. Uh, as the baptism takes place today, as any of us have been baptised, it's a, it's a sign and symbol pointing us to new life. But that new life we turn to, we need to be reminded, we need to remind ourselves each day to repent and return again to God. This word in Zechariah is a word, a call for each day. For us today to turn away from our evil ways and evil practices that we still fall into, more examples of those in Zechariah to come, return to me, the Lord commands, but with this incredible promise, and I will return to you. Just hold that thought for a minute. We're going to read on in Zechariah over the coming weeks and as Peter said in the lead up to Christmas we'll find it's a book of two halves. Uh, the first chapters 1 to 8, the second 9 to 14. 1 to 8, uh, they have this introduction. Uh, yes, thank you, next slide, that's great. They have this introduction and then they have eight visions. Uh, the, the first three of God returning to his people, the last three of him pushing sin away, the middle two of how this will come to be. And as promised, uh, we, the temple was finished in the time of Zechariah and in that way God dwelt among his people again in their day. But the thing was, and if you had been there with them, they still didn't see all that they had been led to expect. It was the day of small things. And so chapter 9 to 14 has a different feel. Uh, it's quite different to the earlier chapters. It was probably written 30 years after uh, the first eight. And they recognised that more, that greater was yet to come. And they pointed forward to a day of even greater privilege, to a great day, not even a 24-hour day, but a period of time which would begin when the Lord Jesus, when God himself would come. 
John in his gospel in chapter 1 verse 14 introduces him in this way, the word became flesh, Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. God himself, the Lord did return as promised. But we still now live in the era of now but not yet. The overlap of the ages, a time of waiting, of awaiting his coming again. And so as we read Zechariah, as we do it as disciples of Jesus, we're going to see that much has changed. We no longer live in the land of Palestine. We no longer need priests or an earthly king. We don't need the temple or to make sacrifices at the altar because we have Jesus who has fulfilled them all. But what is the same? We still live in the age of God's promises. We still await Jesus' return. And it will make us very different. It should make us very different. Different from our family members who don't trust Jesus. Different in our values, the values we prize and whose commands we obey. Different in how we think about ourselves and in our relationships with others. Will we be like those who are not yet disciples of Jesus? Or will we be like him, our great elder brother? As we await Jesus' return, will we return to the Lord when we sin? And as we do, rest in his unconditional forgiveness. Will each of us pray each day, Lord, thank you for coming in the Lord Jesus. Thank you for so great a forgiveness, salvation from sin. Will we pray, come again soon, Lord Jesus, and as I live today with its challenges and joys and temptations and as you dwell with us by your spirit, may you help us today to repent and return to you that we may be together in that day when Jesus returns as King. Let's make that prayer our prayer today. And I'm going to lead us in praying it. Loving Lord, thank you for coming in the Lord Jesus. Thank you for so great a forgiveness, salvation from sin. Come again soon, Lord Jesus. And as we live today with its challenges and joys and temptations and as you dwell with us by your spirit, help us today to repent and return to you that we and you may be together in that final day when Jesus returns as King. Amen.